Hello, everybody. Please remember, if you are enjoying the podcast, please subscribe to LSHTM Viral and share with your friends and colleagues. If you can write us a review on Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating, that would be fantastic so other people can also find the podcast. On with the episode. Hello and welcome back to LSHTM Viral. My name is Amy Thomas and I'm joined by my lovely colleagues, Naomi. Hi everybody, Naomi Stewart here. And Carl. Hi everyone, Carl Byrne here. How are you guys doing today, Naomi? How are you today? It's the same as last week, I'm kind of tired. <laughs> I think I think the long winter days are wearing on me and we're not even at solstice yet. Yeah, definitely the dark, the darkness in the evening is is getting. I just feel like the day's over at four o'clock. Um, Carl, how are you doing? Uh, I'm also tired, but uh, not just because of the weather, but because my kittens just well, my cats decided to have a party uh, between four a.m. and five a.m. this morning, so that was fun. Did you join in? No, I, well, I had to join in at one point to stop them bringing me presents, but apart from that, um, <laughs> yeah, I just tried to sleep through it. Didn't wasn't particularly successful, so uh, a little tired. So. Um, this episode is not about cats, unfortunately, but um, it is about air pollution, which is very interesting and topical. And I had the pleasure of speaking to two of our researchers from the centre, Paul Wilkinson and Antonio Gasparini, who work in slightly different areas. Um, but yeah, before we launch in with any of that, I mean, do you guys have any thoughts about air pollution in general? <laughs> I don't know if I have general thoughts, but I do think actually London has the worst air pollution of any city I've lived in. That's not borne out by evidence, but just my personal uh, opinions. It's really, it's quite dirty here. Yeah, yeah. London. Whenever I moved to London, I started getting um, quite bad hay fever, and I think that's, uh, quite a lot of that was from the pollution. But it's definitely not the most polluted city I've been to. I've been to uh, Kolkata, which uh, the air there was black at times. Yeah. Mm. And and interestingly, um, I found out when I was doing this podcast that it's not, I, I maybe perhaps naively or forgot about my GCSE when I was learning this, um, that air pollution is, you know, it comes naturally. There are some natural sources of air pollution and it's not, it's not just from man-made stuff. Um, and, you know, Paul mentioned that, uh, so even if we made a car that was not non-polluting for the environment, just that when you break the tyres... Uh, like the brake wear on the tires can actually cause air, like quite a lot of air pollution. I think he said half of the air pollution from cars is actually from the cars breaking, which I thought wow. was quite interesting. So just let's just speed around town like bumper cars. <laughs> no <laughs> no braking, everybody. <laughs> so um, the problem will come down then whenever we have AI controlled cars and no one needs to drive because the cars will drive themselves and that'll then they'll be more efficient, won't need to brake as much, and that'll lower air pollution. And I welcome our robot overlords. Speaking of AI, Antonio's um, recent work is actually using AI and algorithms to basically use data from satellites and data from on-the-ground monitors, monitoring air pollution levels, put it all together and predict what the air pollution is like. And I think he mentioned that it was within one kilometre's accuracy. So essentially, you could kind of look across into the next town and figure out who's the most polluted town which is a pretty cool thing wow that is cool it's cool that they can do it at um such a high scale for the resolution too because i know you can get quite fine scale resolution data but that's mostly people and stations that are reporting on specific things but that could be useful globally as well yeah for uh, other countries 
Well, without further ado, and without me ruining too much of the episode, I will hand over to Paul and and Antonio. So thanks, Carl and Naomi, for joining me, and have a great day. First, we speak to Professor Paul Wilkinson to set the scene on air pollution. Paul is an expert in this area and leads a European Commission-funded project focusing on how we can reduce greenhouse gases in urban areas across Europe and Asia. Great, well, thank you so much and welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on talking about air pollution. So first off, uh, Paul, you're, you're an expert in the health impacts of global environmental change and you work with the Centre on Climate Change and Planetary Health. For those of us who don't know, or those out there who don't know much about air pollution, can we just briefly discuss where does air pollution come from? Well, air pollution refers to any of the particles or gases in the atmosphere that can be harmful to health. And it comes from both natural and man-made sources. So everyone thinks of air pollution as being something that's derived from combustion, burning of materials, particularly fossil fuels, coal, oil, gas, petrol, and so on. But actually, it's a complicated mixture and it comes from uh, many sources. And as I say, some of them are natural. uh, So that would include forest fires and and burning in in the natural environment. But also, olives from trees are a constituent of particles in in the atmosphere. And even sea salt, uh, when a when the spray comes up from a wave that breaks, fine droplets uh, contain dissolved salt, and as the water uh, evaporates, it leaves behind a tiny particle of salt. All of that also contributes to the to the particles in the atmosphere. So it's a complicated set of particles and gases that come from a variety of sources, some natural, some man-made. But obviously, uh, from our perspective, the majority of them, and the ones which we think probably are most harmful to human health, come from human sources. And those are mainly, but not entirely, from the burning of fossil fuels. That's really interesting. Thanks, Paul. And, you know, interesting you mentioned that, um, you know, air pollution does come from both natural and man-made sources. So, you know, air pollution has obviously been around for, for a long time. When did we start noticing or start figuring out that there were some significant health impacts from air pollution? Well, I think we've suspected the adverse effects of air pollution for for a long time, uh, centuries. But I think the evidence really began to accumulate in the 20th century, when there were a number of analyses of adverse effects on health in relation to particular episodes of air pollution, very prominent episodes. And there were several of these around the world. One of the ones we are most aware of in London is the London smog episode in the early 1950s, which was an episode when there was a a huge increase in air pollution over a period of a few days uh, shortly before Christmas. And it led to a very noticeable increase in the number of deaths. This was one of those events that really shone the, the light on the adverse effects of air pollution and was... I think seminal in the UK to the later passing clean air legislation to try to reduce the emission of uh, pollutants into urban environments in particular. And since then, air pollution actually has been reducing um, and quite dramatically in most of the high income countries, although it's changed its nature somewhat. The, the constituents of air pollution are slightly different now from what they were in the past. But in terms of its of the mass of particles and other pollutants, it's come down a lot over time, 
And we thought we were doing very well in eliminating it as a risk uh, for human health until analyses in the uh, uh, early 1990s really began to show again that even at the, the low levels in historical terms that we now have in cities in the developed countries, um, there are still um, discernible health effects. And actually, although the effects for individuals are relatively small because it is a ubiquitous exposure to which everyone is exposed, the burden of ill health associated with it is very substantial. And of course, as air pollution being improving in the high income economies, it's tended to grow in other parts of the world which are going through economic development, where air pollution is now much worse than it is in, in the UK, for example. Thanks, Paul. And, and you mentioned um, some of the actual different types of matter and, and you know, the actual pollutants in, in air, what we consider air pollution. What are those actually doing to the body that makes it so harmful? I think it's fair to say we don't fully understand that all the processes by which air pollution causes adverse effects on health and indeed the range of health effects which we believe to be associated with air pollution it continues to grow over time as we as more research emerges. But particles and gases that largely can be taken into the body through the lungs and we have particular interest in the very fine particles, those smaller than 10 microns or especially smaller than two and a half microns in diameter because those get deep into the lungs. Not only do they affect the lungs, but they also can then be taken up into the bloodstream and essentially carried around to other parts of the body. They may have effects on a variety of target organs, lungs, cardiovascular system, quite a lot of interest in the recent years over potential effects on the brain. So uh, it's likely that many uh, body systems will be affected, and we have growing evidence for a, for a number of those. Exactly what the, the nature of the, of the hazard is, is, as I say, still being researched. Quite a lot of interest in the fact that it may cause reactive chemicals which uh, attack tissues and may cause damage. But it's likely that there is more than one process, and it depends a bit uh, on which body system we're interested in. So you mentioned obviously an attack, uh, attack on the body. Potentially, we don't know the exact mechanisms that are happening. But broadly, what sort of diseases or illnesses are we looking at? You know, we, we talk about cardiovascular diseases or respiratory diseases. Are those the two main, or are there other diseases that we might look at? The list is long. Some of it is you can just report in terms of health events. So there is an increase in mortality, but also a particular cause of mortality within it. And there are increases in things like hospital admissions that you see in association with air pollution. But in terms of the particular forms of illness, birth outcomes, so things associated with birth, premature birth, low birth weight, through to diseases affecting the lungs, so uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, exacerbations of asthma. It affects lung growth in children, we believe. Effects on the cardiovascular system uh, with all the things that that entails. So there are associations with heart attacks and strokes, and even effects on cognitive development and cognitive decline in later life, i.e. Uh, things that uh, affect mental processes. I suspect that we will find in, in time that there are many systems that are affected by air pollution, but we haven't got the evidence on most of them yet, or many of them yet, but we certainly know that there are uh, substantial effects on the lungs, cardiovascular system, and various other body systems. 
That's great. Thanks, Paul. I would suspect there's lots of research in this area trying to unpick those mechanisms a little further. Um, You mentioned uh, children uh, there when we were talking about those effects. Who is most affected by air pollution? Is it particularly apparent in children or does it completely depend? Well, I think you can think about who is most affected by it from two perspectives. The first of all, who is most exposed? And the second, who is vulnerable to exposure? In terms of who is most exposed, if you take a global perspective, it it varies uh, around the world and it varies in different settings in each country. Actually, the UK is in the relatively low pollution level in global terms, although it is still much higher than we would like and causing a substantial burden of illness and death in the UK. But there are countries where the average levels will be four, five, six, even 10 times greater uh, than in the UK. in in some settings. Within those, it depends, again, on the nature of the sources of pollution. We tend to think of, and it's probably true that in general, the exposure is greatest in urban environments, so within cities, because there's simply a, a larger density of people generating pollution, heavy traffic and so on, which is an important source of pollution. But it is also generated inside the home, and in some rural communities, especially in low-income settings, if they cook by the unvented burning of biomass, that is, wood, dried gum, straw, and things that they have in their environment, they can get very high concentrations of particle pollution and other things uh, inside the home. So that it, it is also a rural problem. And indeed, even in the UK, the very fine particles don't vary enormously across space. So actually, there are quite high levels of the very finest particles in rural areas as well as there are in the urban areas. But other pollutants, uh, things like nitrogen dioxide, which is a gas um, for which traffic is a a major contributor, that tends to be much higher in city environments. That's really interesting. So I think the commonly held view about air pollution is you associate with cars and vehicles. And so, you know, it's interesting hearing about, you know, there's other areas, rural areas where where air pollution is a problem. If we're thinking about, you know, um, priorities for and actions for reducing air pollution um, and, you know, aiming for net zero by 2050, um, what do you think are the you know, given that this is such a varied area, you know, not just focusing on cities or, you know, rural areas alone, what do you think the priority actions are for reducing air pollution? In the UK, I think there is broadly a, a hierarchy of fuels which are more polluting than others. And the ones which are most polluting, both in terms of their harm's effect on human health, but also in terms of effect on climate change, are coal and oil. And actually, natural gas is somewhat cleaner than coal and oil, but it still contributes to toxic air pollution as well as greenhouse gas emissions. So it's clear that uh, phasing out of coal in power generation and industry would be a good goal. And actually, the UK has made very good progress on that. Clearly, also, though, people are very concerned in urban environments from the pollution produced by road vehicles. And... It's an important priority, both for toxic pollution, but also for climate change, to move towards vehicles that are not reliant on combustion processes. That is the elimination of uh, diesel and petrol vehicles. What we have in our homes and how we heat our homes is also important. And and pollution also generated from agriculture. So all facets of modern life in some way contribute to 
pollution, and actually it requires action on all fronts. So you mentioned focusing on cars also brings benefits for climate change. Um, is that why we say, you know, there are co-benefits? Because we also have the, the benefit of reducing air pollution on health and also on climate change. Yes, I increasingly see that these two objectives are completely intertwined. And essentially, the move towards a low uh, or zero carbon future is one which will also help to solve many of the air pollution problems we have. Now, the, the zero carbon objective is not about toxic air pollution. It is about reducing climate change, for which carbon dioxide, which is not toxic at normal concentrations to human health. But the objective of removing production of carbon dioxide, of course, means removing combustion of fossil fuels, largely. And that means that there will be benefits to health where reducing combustion also means that it's reducing the emission of toxic pollutants into the atmosphere. And, and just to sort of round off the, the discussion here, um, I originally put in my questions, is it possible for us to create a society with no air pollution? I quickly realised that of course, that doesn't make sense because air pollution comes from natural sources anyway. But um, I suppose, you know, reframing in, in light of our chat just now, is it possible for us to create a society where air pollution doesn't have a significant impact on our health? Well, firstly, you're, you're correct that you can't entirely eliminate air pollution because some comes from natural sources. It's probable that much of the toxic component of air pollution comes from man-made sources in particular. So it is probable that we could make a big impact on reducing the levels of man-made pollutants. But it's not straightforward. Most people assume that air pollution from road vehicles is predominantly because they burn petrol or diesel. While that is a major source of the pollution that comes from cars, there is appreciable release of fine particles into the atmosphere from tire and brake wear, for example. So even with vehicles that are not dependent on combustion technology, there will still be air pollution generated by having motor vehicles uh, driving around. And about half of the particle pollution that comes from road vehicles is probably from non, uh, not from the combustion process, but from tire brake and other things. So uh, it's not entirely that you can eliminate it, but, I'm, but it's very clear that we can substantially reduce many of the pollutants because uh, combustion is a, an important source of most of the components. And if we are able to move away from them, that would have a very appreciable reduction in the emissions uh, and help, therefore, to lead to a not entirely uh, clean atmosphere, but one which is much reduced in the level of, of this toxic hazard to human health. That's quite a positive note to end on, I think. Yeah, the idea of having clean air, um, you know, with substantial co-benefits for the environment and our health is not something that anyone can really turn down. <laughs> um, so thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, Paul. That was a really interesting chat. And yeah, thank you so much. And I hope you have a good day. Next, we speak to Professor Antonio Gasparini, who is a biostatistician interested in applying new methods and developing software for public health issues. 
Antonio's recent work included the construction of a highly detailed air pollution map across the whole of Great Britain. The team used AI and satellite data to produce the most detailed map ever seen in this kind of area. So you've recently worked on, on this exciting research and it published, was it last week or this week? Um, and it's using AI and satellite technology to monitor air pollution. First, can you just tell us, why do we need this kind of map? Why is it useful? This kind of project and research in general addresses a very important gap in uh, say the epidemiological research on, on the health effects of air pollution and environmental factors. What we can do today is to assign any person living anywhere in the country a residential exposure and, pro and possibly also a, let's say, working time exposures, if you know the address where these people work, and pretty much track down people across the whole country and assigning exposures very uh, neatly and with a lower, let's say, error if compared to, to before. So basically, this gives you the possibility to conduct studies which were impossible, probably, to, to design uh, beforehand. That sounds very exciting. Um, so, so from what I understand, um, you uh, before, previously, we used monitors to um, measure the exposure, but now you and, and, the, and the team that you've been working on this, you've been using satellite imagery to increase the accuracy of this picture. How does satellite imagery tell you about air pollution? Satellite, they provide uh, continuous measurements on uh, many different phenomena. It's possible to estimate uh, what is the concentration of uh, very specific types of pollutants, and in this case, uh, particulate matter, which is uh, one of the most important pollutants from an epidemiological point of view. So it's possible to obtain directly from satellite, from these remote uh, readings from satellite, what is the concentration of pollution at a given time of uh, day or year. Now, uh, there are many types of satellites, so the, the kind of readings they do change quite a lot, both in terms of precision and also timing. So these kind of satellites we are using are satellites that are taking continuous readings throughout uh, the days uh, because they, they pretty much they are passing a specific hour of the day, every day, across the whole year. One of the problems of these readings is that they are influenced set by a lot of other parameters, for example, cloudiness or problems in readings, and of course, they are not extremely precise. So what we did in here is to complement these readings with many other readings from satellite, for example, about uh, land use variables or vegetations and others, in addition to other databases that we have that includes uh, information, everything that can predict uh, pollution levels in some areas, for example, the traffic flow or the type of landscape that you have, for example, if it's a urban area, the type of buildings that you have in that area, etc. Now, you combine all these informations in these uh, relatively complex machine learning methods and uh, you obtain a model that can predict then pollution level at any point uh, in the spatial domain that we uh, consider it, which is the Great Britain in our case, and in any day of the period that, that we assess it, which is from 2008 uh, 
2018. That's really fascinating, um, you know, to, to, to think about how all of these parameters are feeding into the algorithm that can predict this at such high accuracy. How long did it take you to, to develop this algorithm? The project has taken a couple of years. Most of the work has been dedicated to uh, data collection. And uh, the size of these uh, databases that we put together is uh, impressive and also the precision because you have to collect uh, a lot of different variables from different databases, including, for example, weather parameters and uh, measurements from uh, census data together with uh, satellite measurements and, and many other types of variables. So there was a lot of work in getting this data, downloading them, integrating them all together on a consistent, let's say, spatial and, and temporal scale. And then at that point, you are able to run these uh, relatively complex machine learning methods. And uh, also in that part, there was, there was a lot of methodological issues to, to, to resolve, let's say. So uh, the, the, the last part of the work has been in, uh, dedicated to set up, let's say, these, this modeling and to try to improve the performance of the, of the model as much as possible to, to, to get uh, uh, measurement as accurate as, as, as possible. And, and in this work, you've obviously done this cross-validation and these accuracy tests, and it's come out, you know, this is a very, very accurate measurement of air pollution across Great Britain. One of the primary interests in, in, in doing this was also from a purely scientific point of view in, in getting this done and completed. But the, the output, I think, of this model is the, is the real game changer in this situation because pretty much you get maps at daily level in a one kilometer grid across the whole Great Britain, which included, I think, approximately 234,000 cells around. So there are, for each day, we have this number of measurements across the whole country, and this changes from day to day. So we are able to reconstruct the exposures across the, the whole country comprehensively and with a high accuracy. And, uh, this is, as I, as I said, is a game changer because the, the data we relied so far were either from uh, ground stations, which, of course, they are sparsely distributed across the country. Most of them are in specific urban areas, so entire part of the uh, population in the country were excluded. But even if compared to other databases that were developed, we saw that the resolution and or the accuracy of our model is much, much. So this means you produce uh, more precise estimates of exposures and therefore it's easier to find signals when uh, uh, matching these exposures to health databases in order to define risks for populations. And you mentioned one kilometer there. Is that, is that then the, that's the sort of accuracy measure you can, you could probably discern, you know, the air pollution from one neighboring town to the next town? Well, yes, that's one of the benefits of doing this research. Most of the previous research on air pollution until a few years ago, basically what we did, we averaged, let's say, air pollution levels, for example, uh, for specific populations living in an area. And therefore, you are not able to disentangle different exposures for 
people living in, uh, within the same city, for example. And therefore, this was very limited in trying to identify subgroups of population and also, in general, exposure to specific air pollutants. So it was, it was very limited in a way. Now, one of the next steps that we are already planning is to link this data to very informative health databases and the type of research and study designs, let's say, that you can plan is a completely different scale uh, if compared to the previous research that we could do. Yeah, I mean, it sounds very exciting, Antonio, I have to say. Um, obviously, you looked at Great Britain. Do you think eventually this kind of um, technology or this approach could be used you know, globally or in other countries? Do they have access to the same kind of data sets? Could it be deployed more widely, I suppose? So it's not uh, immediately replicable everywhere in the world, especially in locations in which you have a very limited ground station coverage or no coverage at all. However, the technologies are improving. In particular, we have used for these uh, analysis quite old satellite instruments that were on board of these uh, NASA satellites going around from uh, early 2000s. Nowadays, uh, more satellites are being launched and they have instruments which are more precise and especially dedicated to these kind of measurements. So there are new generations of satellites for measurements dedicated to health research, for example. And some of them are measuring pollution with a precision which is uh, much higher than the one we have used. So it's possible that at some point you can use directly satellite measurements to measure air pollution, in this case, or more generally environmental stressors around the world without uh, without the need of, uh, of ground stations. So it looks like satellite technology is going to become, you know, increasingly important, um, you know, for this kind of research going, you know, further down the line. Just to sort of round off the discussion, um, do you feel excited by this research? Are you hopeful for the future? Well, absolutely. It was really exciting, but it was, uh, it was really promising. I think we have reached the finally the stage in which we start having some outputs and we can start doing uh, uh, some research using these, uh, these outputs, but there's been quite a lot of preparatory work uh, uh, beforehand and a lot of work in order to get to this, uh, to this point. Uh, I think from now on, uh, things will be getting even more uh, exciting when we'll start uh, linking these uh, data to, to health databases and perform uh, epidemiological research on that because really we can show that it can make a big difference if compared to the traditional studies. So for, for me, it's, it's, a, it's a very exciting uh, period in a way. It's, uh, it's starting a new chapter, let's say, in my uh, research career. Absolutely, and I'll be looking forward to seeing what comes out of it. Thank you so much, Antonio. That was really interesting. And thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today and have a great day. Oh, thank you very much, Emmy. My pleasure. So a big thank you to Paul and Antonio for their contributions to this episode. I certainly found it very interesting learning more about this topic. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and write us a review if you can. It will mean that other people who are interested in this area, climate change and public health, will be able to find our podcast more easily. Thank you again for listening and goodbye for now.